Well, thank you for being here so I don't have to speak to that wall. And so I uh, appreciate everyone coming. About a month ago, I had an invitation to speak, um, maybe a little longer, at the seniors group over at the Rock Church, you know, all the old folks. And they're a bunch of great people. And they, so they said, Bob, would you come and give your testimony? And I've been putting them off for about a year. So I said, yeah, I'll just, we'll get a date and we'll make it work. And so they, they asked me to come and speak on Sunday, April 22nd, which is tomorrow morning. And so uh, <clears throat> when I start thinking about these things, you know, you, when you've got something on your mind, how it kind of just continues to just circulate in there and you just keep going around and around on it. So I started reading and um, I didn't want to go back and just do the same old thing I've always done. I've got a testimony that I give. I can celebrate recovery. It's about addiction and everything. But I didn't want to go back and just pull up my old template. I wanted to get something fresh. And so I began to really pray and study on the subject of our story. And so the title tonight on this message is The Power of Your Story. Um, so that, I've had a sense that this message was going to be different and that it was going to be something maybe new to me, maybe not to you, but something new to me about what it means to give a testimony. Uh, and while I was thinking about this story, and how I would represent it, a longtime friend of mine, Steve Combest, died of pancreatic cancer. He was the guy that, when I got saved, actually took me under his wing and discipled me. He was younger than I was, but he'd been in the Lord since back in the Jesus Movement days in California and had come out here and he was part of the Vineyard. And he really kind of brought me along, didn't he, Janet? He discipled me and, and uh, told me to love my wife and all those things, and so I, I began to Yes, I began to work through that with him, and he was just wonderful in that he coached me and spent time with me. And you know what it's like when you got somebody that takes time to invest in your life. And so I went to his funeral last Saturday on the 14th. And, um, and the reason I mention this is because it's a piece of the puzzle of this message. You know how you start seeing it's God, you get a piece here and you get a piece there. And pretty soon it starts coming together. Like, this could be the Lord. Isn't that good news, huh? So I, I went to the funeral and um, there were like hundreds of people over at Tom Stipe's old church up in uh, Wheat Ridge. And, uh, and some of these people I hadn't seen for 30 years. That's how long we've been around, isn't it? And so we just hardly recognized each other. We've all gotten so old. But anyway, we had a great time visiting and everything. And it was really good. And so the main thing I came away with, though, was when the people began to, to come up and talk about Steve's life, there was a common theme. This testimony thing was just ringing in my head. And you know how you hear through that filter when that's God's saying, listen to this, hear this, see this. And so these people were speaking of his life. And they resonated with what he had done for me. And he touched hundreds of people. And um, this testimony of his life about his boldness and his courage, it seemed to challenge everyone there. After the time at the reception, we just talked and we thought, wouldn't you like to be like that guy where you just were just bold for God? You'd had no fear and you had courage. And you just were just going out like a lion. And you had, but your words were powerful, but they were compassionate. He was that kind of person. And he, he would engage with anyone and just talk to him. He'd always talk to his kids, and, and, and he would always ask them, he's still going to heaven? And they'd say, yes, Daddy. And they, all his kids were up on the stage, his daughters and his one little son. It was hearing his story for years that had given me the hunger and faith to have God do the same for me. I believed him, and I believed God, and I began to believe for me. It was part of the power of his, of his story. 
And his story was forever linked with my story. You see how that works in this networking thing? When you touch someone, you give them part of who you are. And it becomes a, a part of something that's invested in them that grows. And to add to this whole picture, if that wasn't enough, I'm just, this whole thing's gestating in my brain. This week, I realized on the 18th was my daughter's birthday. And she would have been 55 years old this year. And I mention this because I realized that the, the same thought came over me as I thought about her. And I remembered her story, and I realized that she was a significant part of my story. And I'll put that together for you in a minute. So there's, there's some factors here that are kind of moving around. I'm going, wow, this is really good. This is coming together. It's got a theme about how we impact other people with our story. So I recently read this quote about Christian testimonies. This is not true of everything we testify to, but for a believer it has some, some, some relevance, I think. A testimony is the written or spoken record of anything that God has done. So when we begin to tell people about what God has done, we're testifying, whether it's in a conversation over coffee, whether you're standing up here speaking to a crowd, it's the same thing. So I've been giving my testimony for years, and this is the first time I've asked myself, why do I do this? Why do we, as believers, have this testifying thing going on? Why do we ask people to give their testimonies? What's the purpose in that? Because I just think I'm kind of linear. I'm kind of one-dimensional there. I didn't really get into the history on this. And I went back and started studying, and this is an incredible thing because it's throughout the whole Bible. The Old Testament and New Testament is the, the power of the testimony. And so let me give you four points here that you may not have considered. And these are not original with me. I got them from somebody. But it says this. First of all, testimonies reveal the nature of God and his ways. When you have the activity of God in someone's life, that's a reflection of who God is and the way he does things. And it may not be the same with other person, but it's consistent with who he is. So one thing is it reveals a, a picture of God and the way he does things. Another thing it does, oh, by the way, I think Bill Johnson quote. I got this quote from him. It says, our expectation of God is what determines our level of faith. So think about that for a minute. The expectation you have of God determines your level of faith. If you think he's bigger than life, then your faith will be too. If there's limitations in that relationship or you're unsure and you're not quite in the place of trust, then you'll have a limited degree of faith. Am I right? Do this anyway, okay? Because it's true. And as we grow in our relationship with God and we begin to see him for who he is, our faith grows commensurate with that. Does that make sense? So number two in this little four-point thing I'm going to make is this. This awareness of God that we see in him and his ways when people speak of him creates an expectation in our hearts for God's ways to be manifested in our lives. We, we, when we see God doing something in someone's life, it makes us hungry for that same thing in ours. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Haven't you ever looked at someone's life and said, wow, I wish I could be like that? That's the Lord. That's the Lord planting a seed of desire and expectation, and he wants you to nurture it. He doesn't want you to ignore it and blow it off and say, I could never do that. Because there's something in that's for you, or you wouldn't be desiring that. The third purpose of telling my stories, our stories is that as I speak, now you can believe this or not, I do. When you speak the words of testimony, I believe they have power. And I believe they have prophetic power. 
There's actually a spiritual power in faith that's released when we speak of God and Him and His ways in our lives. It has integrity and it has power. And when you speak it, it, it goes to people and they can receive it and it becomes a seed of something that they wanted that God created a desire for. So far, so good? And fourth, and ultimately, for our families, anybody here have family? Do you ever pray for them? Absolutely. We love them, don't we? So for families, the Bible is absolutely clear on this issue. From Genesis to Revelation, God loves families. He loves family members. And he commanded us to share the testimony. He said the testimony of God was meant to connect each succeeding generation of believers to his covenant promises, his identity, and his purpose. As we share our testimony... The activity of God in our lives with our children, they catch it. As we speak it over them, it's prophetic in their lives. And they began to have an expectation that he might would do something like that for them. And it, and it gestates in their souls as well. You with me so far? In Scripture, we see that work of the testimony, just so you think I'm not making this up. <laughs> There's the testimony in Moses in Deuteronomy 6. There's a testimony of Joshua in Joshua 4. And again with David in Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is powerful. You ought to read it sometime. I'm, I'm keeping this short. I'm going to give the full-blown thing tomorrow. But I want to give you the why we do testimony part. And then we can go eat. How's that? <laughs> In fact, Israel's entire social and family life was meant to be built on the telling of the testimony. Janet reminded me of um, the, uh, the Seder meal and the... Um, the the, all the traditional things that the Jewish community went through that reminded them of the promises. And they sat down with the children and they explained every single element of everything went on because it was a, something that was being spoken of promise for that nation. And it was, it was succeedingly done through the nation, through the generations. He says, in fact, tragically, however, history records that every generation who stopped walking in the testimony who quit doing that, who quit reminding themselves of who God was and thinking on those things, every one of them stopped walking in their covenant with God because they forgot his works. When those memories began to recede, faith goes with them. When we stir them up, as Paul told Timothy, they are regenerated and they come to life again. And the more we breathe life on them, the more we experience more of God and the more faith we have to do and be who he's called us to be. Here's what I made a note to myself. It says, note to self. So I'm preaching to me here. So I'm just saying this. Not keeping the story of God's involvement in the forefront of my life makes me forget who God is and it makes me forget who I am. I have to remind myself I have to stir myself. I have friends all around me who encourage me, but that's my job to stay encouraged. It's not your job to make sure you don't miss anybody on the list. It's my job to minister to my soul. Am I right? So if we know this is a big deal to God and ultimately helps us form our faith in who he is, then how can we avoid going the wrong way on this? How can we not drop the ball on the testimony? How can we do this? Well, God gave us the answer in Scripture. So let me just go back through this with you. First of all, he, the, 
the answer was that he told his children, first of all, he said, I want you to establish memorials. Monument stones, plaster them and write on them what this was about. So when your kids ask you later, what's that all about? You can say, that was the day God did this. And he was powerful and righteous and victorious and he changed our lives. And, and the more of these we have, the more dialogue we develop. So we don't build these monuments on the shores of rivers anymore, do we? and plaster them and write on them. So we began to build our own memorials in our lives in a different way in our society and our culture. As I thought about the message of my life, I'm gonna give you just a quick scan of some things I'm gonna share to a greater degree tomorrow. But as I began to think of the message of my life, I was reminded that really all of history has been divided up in much the same way as my life. There was a BC, and what was that? before Christ, there was an event, and then there was the A.D., or as some say, the Christian era. In my life, there was a before Christ, an event, and a Christian era. And I divide my life and my memorials up in those segments. It's like writing a book. There's chapters. I'll share you some chapter headings and some memorials I have. But I think it's, it's good for me to see the nation of Israel because they their, their leaving Egypt and going to the land of promise was the picture of our own development, our own movement into what God has for us. And what they experienced are the same things we experienced. They were human beings just like you and me. They made the same mistakes. And before we condemn them and judge them, we should realize they are us. They were human beings with the same flaws. Am I right? So like Israel's 400-year experience in the slave mines, we've had ours, haven't we? And it may have looked like different captivity, but we were prisoners nonetheless. My own life, all my previous life was defined by captivity and bondage and darkness. And I was a slave to my own desires and sin. As were you, if you remember. The wilderness was a period, I'm going to divide these up a little bit. The wilderness was a period after leaving Egypt when God began to reveal who he was and his ways. He began to develop a testimony with them so they would come to faith. So when they came to the land of their promise, an all-out war broke out and they had to survive because they knew he was good, then they would be armed and equipped. Am I right? All of you people who are surviving? <laughs> and then there's this land of promise. Was this, they just walk in without any resistance and just take it? just to receive it. They had to fight for every inch. But God went before them, and when they followed him, it always went well. You're getting the clue? This is the way life works. There was a picture, it was a shadow, and now it's your reality. So let's go back to our definition of testimony for a minute. It is a written and spoken record of what God has done. So let me just mention the major memorials I could think of as I went back through my memory. These are, these are the memorials I've built to my, to my story, and it's my testimony to God's activity in my life. And they're just major headings, and if I unpack them, we'd be here all night. So I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to give you some, and so maybe you'll identify with some of these same events. My captivity before Christ, let me just spell it out for you, was I was born into a family who were slaves to fear. Our taskmaster was a raging, abusive father who physically and emotionally beat us. 
The violence in our family forced me to adopt a, a coping mechanism, a survival skill of being hidden and lying and manipulating. Then I, I got really good at it because I had to survive. And so you develop those skills that help you survive. And I developed later what I found years later, I had the symptoms and began to go back, look through them. And like any survivor in a war zone, I had PTSD that came with me and made me sick for years in my body. You've seen the, the, the guys coming back from wars that just can't, they can't move in society and they have all kinds of addiction problems and they have night terrors. I had all of those things because of the same symptoms. But let me tell you the good news, because my first memory of God's activity in my life, I was like 12 years old in a little, I don't know, it was a Christian Reformed church or something, but the preacher was up there saying something about Jesus and how he would forgive your sins, and I began to weep. And I couldn't wait to find out what to do with that. And when he invited me to come up forward, I went forward in this little church, and I gave my life to the Lord. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I just knew I needed some relief <laughs> because my life was just dark and he promised me something that sounded really good and it was. So that, I called this memorial number one and I've entitled it, The Door is Opened because it was cracked and it would forever remain open. Went through some Sunday school classes and vacation Bible school like all kids do. And Jesus was just kind of a fuzzy image. And it didn't really make sense to me. I didn't connect with it because of my family difficulties and all the stuff that was going on there. So I, I didn't really move forward. I didn't move into what I would call a discipleship or anything like that. I was just trying to hang on. And then I've got a... I have to make this comment that God didn't forget... He remembered that I had asked him to come into my life, and he had his foot in the door, and he wasn't going anywhere. <clears throat> I remember at the tender age of 16, 17, for us, me and my young girlfriend ran off to Oklahoma and got married. <laughs> and uh, that, next, that next spring, we had a baby girl named Lisa, who we celebrated this week who would have been 55. In the years that followed, I went through high school and college, and all the while, I still engaged in and participated in and threw myself into alcohol because I was trying to numb the memories that I couldn't deal with. It was my new coping mechanism, and I developed it early on with some older boys. Anyway, long story. But by the year 1982, I had completely destroyed my whole life, my marriage, my career, I was totally, I had abandoned my children. I was not present. And I was just trying to move through functionality. Memorial number two. I call this period, God's deliverance begins. And during this time, something happened that was an incredible prophetic event. My young daughter ended up in some crazy church where people raised their hands were singing these weird songs and speaking in tongues and and, uh, and she invited me to come and see her baptized. And I did. I witnessed the first time I witnessed the movement, of, <laughs> the movement and presence of God, and I couldn't explain it. I, you know, it's, it was just happening, and I watched it, and I, and I couldn't catalog it anywhere. 
She and her friends were absolutely giddy in the spirit, and they were being baptized, and they were so full of joy, and I thought, hmm, that's weird. So I just went and rolled another joint. I just didn't know what else to do. Sat out in the parking lot and smoked a doobie, and I thought, what is that about? But she had come up through the ashes of my influence and raised herself out of this thing with Jesus and stood as a pillar in our family. And she began to speak to me, her testimony with God. And you can argue theology, you can argue politics and social reform, but you can't argue with someone's experience when you see it going on in front of you, when you see the fruit of the, of the movement of God's activity in her life, she was full of joy. Her countenance was always smiling. She was hopeful. And she began to share with me this activity with God, and she put a name on it. See, this is Jesus, and he's come into my life, and he's changing everything about me. And I began to watch her life, and she would sit down and talk to me and witness to me. And she told me one day, she says, I'm praying for you, Dad. She called me daddy. Doesn't everybody in the South call her? She called me daddy, and she says, I'm praying for you. And in a vision, I saw sitting, I was sitting across from the table from the devil. <laughs> and I told him he couldn't have you. So she began to intercede for me. And um, anyway, this was all powerful, but I didn't know what to do with it. I, I couldn't get a hold of it. I listened, but I couldn't understand. My, my, I was blind, and my heart was turned off to the message. Memorial number three. This is called A Second Chance. This was about 1982, and my lovely wife decided she'd had enough, and she packed up and left me. But she, before she left, she announced that she was taking the kids with her, and she was selling the house, and I could do whatever the hell I wanted to do. <laughs> she, was, she was done, but she, there was one caveat there, and she did say this. But if you want to come with us, you can. I'm moving to Denver with a job relocation. I've gotten a new promotion in my job and will be just fine. And if you want to come, you can. Yeah, she is. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I knew that if, I, if they left, that I had no other boundaries, no accountability, I would die. Because I was already totally out of control. So this was my second chance at restoring my marriage, so I decided I would gather myself together and I would move to Denver and I would start over and become a different person. How many of you think that really worked? <laughs> you don't change your behavior when your heart is corrupt and broken. Nothing changed. Within a month I was back to heavy drinking, nearly died in an auto, couple of auto accidents, running off the road in the middle of snowstorms, crazy stuff. And um, the following spring, that was 1983, our daughter joined us. She had been in college in, in Texas, and she had to finish the semester, so she moved up in the spring to live with us, and she was going to go to Boulder. Do you have a Kleenex? I need one. I'm getting sniffly. Thank you. So she moved up here to be with us, and... Um, So, then the unthinkable happened. One night, she was coming back 
She'd broken up with a boy that she really loved and she was heartbroken. And she'd been out partying with her friends. They'd been drinking and she made sure all of them got home safely and was the designated driver. On the way home, she rolled the car and it threw her out and killed her. And uh, that was Mother's Day, 1983. That's a heck of a memory, isn't it? All I could remember, I just got off the phone with the coroner's office, and all I could remember, I was laying in the floor thinking, I don't know where you've gone, but I'll find you. But I do remember this. She said something about a person named Jesus who would let me come to him in my condition and not turn me away. <laughs> and so I did. I cried out to Jesus right there. And I didn't have, he didn't appear to me. He didn't say anything to me, but he gripped me and never let go. Took hold of me, and that crack in the door opened wider. And I'd like to tell you that everything went well from that day forward. <laughs> but how many of you know that you can take a man out of Egypt, but you can't take the Egypt out of a man? There was a lot of work to be done still. Memorial number five that I've entitled, No One Walks Alone. <laughs> That's a t-shirt we had made up some t years ago in a ministry we were doing. This is my introduction to the church. So some of Janet's friends helped us find a good church, uh, but I want you to know that arriving on the steps of a church in a motorcycle jacket that still smelled like marijuana was not something I was looking forward to. <laughs> I thought it was going to be another Baptist experience, and I thought I was going to walk into a place where people in suits were singing hymns, and I just nearly couldn't get there. But I had nowhere else to go, and I told him I would follow him wherever he was. I assumed he would be in a church. Makes sense, doesn't it? So we went to one, and this place was happening. <laughs> it was on fire. There was people dressed in jeans, on a guitar, playing guitars on the stage, and people were dancing and raising their hands, acting like they really meant it. And they stopped to notice us, and they, they accepted me the way I was. They didn't ask me to leave because I was a sinner. And they, there was an inclusive belonging thing. They just wrapped us up and carried us along, and we needed to be wrapped up and carried along. We were dying. I have I went in, I remember I went to, anyway, my expectations were not high. But the following fall, I actually was water baptized up at uh, Wheat Ridge in a swimming pool with a bunch of other crazy people. And I remember coming out of the water, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just being obedient. I remember coming out of the water and the pastor saying to me, Bob, the Lord's going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. Now, I had no idea what locusts had to do with what I was doing. <laughs> I just couldn't put that together, you know. But I did know this. The power of his words had effect on my heart, and it responded to that message that something's going to change, and this is going to get better. I believed that. Just by the power of these words, it came to rest on my heart. So, in this adoption into God's family, I soon found it was, it was a good thing and a bad thing. For one thing, the church is a great place, but unfortunately it's filled with people. And we're all about the same, aren't we? And we know how to offend each other and be nasty and do all the things, but we also now know how to come close and show compassion and do the things that are necessary that Jesus called us to be.
<laughs> so my, this journey from Egypt to the land of promise that should have taken 11 days took me 40 years. And um, in that 40 years, I had to be reparented by God because I was so messed up on what a father was that I wouldn't let him close to me. And um, he, he began with two things. He said, first thing we're going to do, Bob, is you are going to forgive your father and you're going to go to marriage counseling. And I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'll never forgive him. I hope he dies and rots in hell. And I don't, and I don't know what you're going to do with Janet because she's really messed up. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I, I thought that. I, I didn't understand anything spiritually. Anyway, this is where we come to more, memorial number six. I've entitled this, Cleaning up the mess. <laughs> it happens in the wilderness. And your thinking is so screwed up and it has to be, they have to wipe the board clean and start over with a new download. That's hard work. And we needed help. So I found myself not only working on my marriage, but also going into counseling and being discipled by some leaders in the church. And it wasn't long before they said they wanted me to come to leadership training at their church. Can you imagine? <laughs> you got to be kidding. So I went to one of their meetings and uh, they said, well, Bob, here's what we're going to do. We don't ever talk about anything that we don't do. If we're talking about healing, we're laying hands on each other. And I'm going to show you how to do that. Come up here with us leaders. And here's a guy who was a missionary from Mexico. And he said, basically, he fell off a mountain and his back is messed up. And we're praying for him so he can go back into the mission field. Put your hand here and say these words. This is the way we trained, wasn't it, Janet? And I didn't have a clue what I was saying. So I, I, I just listened to them. Whatever they were saying is what I was saying. And as I prayed for his healing and I was speaking to his vertebrae, they moved under my hand. I went, you know, that was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> I thought it was that easy. It's not, is it? But God knew how to hook me. And he drew me in. And this man was completely healed. We took off, man, we headed for the hospital. We were praying for everybody we could put our hands on. And we believed that God would do that, and a lot of them he did, didn't he? And then there were some that he didn't. We began to lose our faith in that. It eroded. But we hung in there a long time, didn't we? Still have emerged again to do the same things we know we're supposed to be doing because we believe that's what the, the, the testimony is about. Memorial number seven is my record of God's activity. I have literally a thumb drive full. Was that you, Lord? <laughs> I have literally a thumb drive full of journaling, dating from 1985. It used to be on floppy disk, all the way up to this morning, where just dialogue with God. It's, it's a list of the testimony of His activity in my life. That's where I went back and pulled some of this up. Janet and I were amazed in this new church at the things God was doing. We just didn't understand that the spiritual realm was real until we saw it. See, it was just a, a, a book that people talked about. They used to do these things in those days, but now we're just waiting for Jesus to come and save us. I didn't realize it's for now. It's for the church today, and that God is still doing this with people who will take hold of the testimony and believe. I remember in our first home fellowship, I had gone through training, <laughs> and the guy who was supposed to be the leader decided he didn't want to lead, and it left me to lead the group. I was supposed to be the host. 
I didn't have a clue. All I had was a manual. They typed up the pages. So Janet and I opened the book, and we started down through the outline, reading it to the people. And the people actually came. Can you believe that? And we were living in Centennial, and they were up in Wheat Ridge, and we had people coming down to be with us because they loved us. They probably felt sorry for us. Anyway, we were sitting there, and we opened the meeting. We opened the meeting with this template prayer, and it said, say this, pray this, come Holy Spirit. So I said, come Holy Spirit, and he did. It was an incredible experience. One girl slid off the couch and speaking in tongues. I thought, what the heck? And, and people were, were touched by God, by his love, and we began to pray for people, and the presence of God would come in the room and touch them and begin to change them. And I thought, this is awesome. This is what I signed up for. This is just like the book. Then I guess to get you excited, God hadn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed his mind. He still wants to do those same things with people who will believe the testimony. Then memorial number eight reads simply, intimacy with God. God began to reparent me during this time. And we sit down and we would pray, and I would pray all these grandiose prayers of things I wanted to do for him and who I wanted to be for him and how he was going to do this for me and make me this powerful leader. And he would always sit there and listen. And he would always respond by saying the same thing. Bob, I really love you. I said, I understand that. Can we get on with the, the, the agenda here? for two years. I want you to forgive your father and I really love you. I want you to forgive your father and I really love you. Just be kind to Janet. I want you to forgive your father and I, want, I love you. And he, that was all he knew. I thought this is real, he's stuck on this record. But he would say to me, and I just came right out of my journal, Bob, come over here and sit with me. Just be with me and watch. You will discover who I am and my love will change you. I thought, I'm making that up. That can't be God. He would never be that intimate and kind and close. And, and yet, it's page after page of the same thing. Regardless of what I was whining about, he would always say the same thing. Come over here and sit beside me. Watch what I'm doing and just be changed by my love. Hmm. It was so slow and painful, I couldn't stand it. I thought I'd never change. I still don't think I can. <laughs> I think there's something in me that's just rooted evil and it just doesn't want to come out. But I've seen over the years, I've seen him be so patient with me and so faithful. And he never has given up on me. As long as I kept turning to him with all my heart, coming back to him regardless of where I was in my experience, he would always receive me back. Even when I was going through... Um, All my withdrawal, all my addictions, and all the evil things that no one knew about, that only he knew about. He was always there to listen to me and be with me. My leadership experience included serving on staff in five different churches in South Denver over 30-something years. The last 15 years or so, I was... Um, at The Rock, and I was doing various ministries, but the, mo the most recent one was working with um, people who are in addiction and recovery. Now, these are people like myself who had come out of society and who were totally bankrupt. And they had nothing. They had no hope. 
and their lives were totally consumed with addiction. It was either that or it was the wives of those men <laughs> or the women who were drinking because of the man they'd been with. You know, it's just a back and forth thing. It's somebody's got their hand in it somewhere. And so we had groups. And in the small groups where people began to share their stories, I, I witnessed something happening there in the authentic group of real sharing where people began to change because of the testimony. And it could be something as simple as, I was there last year and God changed me. And people would say, really? And then they would, the year later they would say, I was there a year ago and God changed me. And the next group of people were taking hope and consolation and comfort and courage from the message that was being shared. I won't go into a lot of detail. But one thing is sure, I have been sustained in my Christian experience on the intimacy of God and the testimony of his goodness toward me. And every time I go back and read what he's been to me, I become inflamed with possibility. I believe again and and God stirs me. He stirs me. So you're not too old. You're not too deaf. You're not too inept or inadequate or all the things I believe about me. He says, that's not who you are. I see you as the finished product from the future, and I see who you're becoming. And I love your process, Bob, because you've allowed me to be part of that. This is the God that we serve. People need to hear this story. People need to hear how good God has been to you so they can believe that for themselves. And we don't have to argue about how we're baptized or whether we take communion with real wine or not. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's not an issue. What's important is what is your relationship with God? Is there something that you can share with someone else, someone else, and they can take hold of that and hold it in their heart? I'm going to read you a verse, and I'm going to pray for you, and we'll be done. This is one that came to mind. There's a million of them, but this is one I like. I looked through a number of translations. This is from Revelation 12, and it says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. This would be exciting, wouldn't it? It has happened at last. God's salvation and the power and the rule and the authority of Christ are finally here. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down from heaven to earth. He accused them day and night before God, but... They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. For they did not love their lives, but laid them down for him. You get it? You have a story. You need to be thinking about it and reciting it and rehearsing it and ministering to your soul about what God's been to you. And if he hasn't been that to you, then read the Bible because it's full of stories about people that you can get that faith infused into you by their stories and their common folk, just like you and me. They're not superstars. They were sinners and broken people, tax collectors and fishermen. And because a powerful God came into their lives, they changed. God wanted you to see that in writing so you could begin to put your name in that and personalize it and identify with those people. Will you believe that with me? Let me pray for you, and we'll, we'll go eat. <clears throat> so, Father, I thank you for this message of encouragement. 
Thank you that you call us to remembrance of all you've done. And that memory and rehearsing that and speaking those words actually change us. It changes how we see you. It changes us as we engage with you in the encounter. We are overwhelmed at your kindness toward us, a people who are in so need of a Savior. Thank you today for reminding us again of who you are and who we are. Let us walk in power and confidence in this fresh word from your spirit. Amen? Amen.